In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Today, first passage is from the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 21 to 26. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, don't murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the sundering. But anyone who says, you fool, will be danger of fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gifts at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still with him on the way, or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Our second scripture is from book, second book of Corinthians, chapter 5, verses 17 to 21. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as through God we're making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord. Join me in prayer, would you? God, we thank you for your life-giving word. It is life to us. And now we pray that these words from Scripture that we've heard would come alive for us as we reflect on it. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would imprint them and their meaning and their impact on our lives, imprint that upon our hearts. May we be faithful to these words. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. When a new world is born... A whole new way of living comes alongside of it. When a new chapter of your life begins to emerge, a whole new way of living appropriate to that chapter comes about. New parents know this really well. We have sort of a mini baby boom going on here at Knox, and we're delighted by that. All the the young couples who are having either their first child or their second child, and they can attest very much as a new world gets born, as that new child comes into their life, a whole new way of living emerges in their life. A trip to the grocery store is unlike any other they've had before. Visiting family requires Sherpas to carry all the stuff that they have to bring with them. Diaper bags, see, right here. Look at Kia, hauling all the stuff they got to bring in. A new world brings with it a whole new way of living. New parents 
see the world through new eyes. They carry with them new responsibilities. They see danger in places they never saw before. And for us as Christians, Jesus Christ has brought a new world. The life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ has brought a new world, the kingdom of God, and the call of the gospel is for us to live in a new way that fits with that new reality. For the past number of weeks, we have been looking at how we do that in a very specific area of our lives, in the area of conflicts of our life, the disagreements, the divisions that mark our lives. And we have been looking at them and seeing that there is a new way to live because of the new reality of Jesus in the midst of our conflicts. And so we can live, we can inhabit our conflicts in ways that glorify God, and that serve the good of others, and that help us to become more like Jesus Christ. And we've been walking through all different various practices and elements, starting with confession and the necessary humility we've required, looking at forgiveness and the nature of it, and now we get finally to the ultimate goal and aim of this new world, this new way of living in this Jesus world, which is reconciliation. This is the hope that we live with in the midst of our conflicts, that we come to this place of reconciliation. Reconciliation is the heart of the gospel. It is the heart of Christ's good news to us. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus are the story of God's reconciliation with his created world, with humanity. And through this reconciliation, God opens up the restored way Uh, the way for restoration with him through Jesus. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said in that passage we heard from 2 Corinthians. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. This is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ. This is the most beautiful, the most hopeful news for a world that is plagued with conflict and division and indifference. In Jesus Christ, all things get reconciled. All things get put together. It is the hope that every relationship that you can imagine that has been broken, pulled apart, torn, fractured, that is in disrepair, whether that's a personal one, whether that's your family, whether that's a work relationship, whether that is racial relationships, whether that is our relationship to creation, all those things get knit together in a beautiful wholeness that we will one day see. That is at the center of the marvelous life that God is offering to it. And reigning over all is beautiful Jesus, the Prince of Peace who speaks peace to the world. That's the life we live for. Now think about how that reconciliation has come about to us. Because it has implications for how we work out reconciliation with others. Paul writes this, that God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins against them. Now, how did God not count sins against us? God is a God of justice. He has created and formed and fashioned this world so that it is a just world, which is a good thing. What happens then to all our offenses? How do they get not counted? 
Because the reality is our sin has made us enemies of God, Scripture tells us, that we are alienated from God, that we're the offenders, that we're the ones who have spit in the face of the creator of the universe. And the scales of justice are just out of whack. God deals with that injustice by bringing us home, sending his son to pay the penalty that we could never pay. The injustice has to be remedied as well as the relational distance has to be remedied. And Christ's death provides us peace with God and with one another, but is it a peace with justice accompanying it? We are justified. We are put in our right relationship with God again through this precious payment of Jesus' death on the cross. God's justice and his mercy meet in the cross. It has brought about a peace, a reconciliation with justice. Now let's think about reconciliation for a minute and what it means for us. What does it mean to be reconciled? God is restoring in his reconciliation the original harmony of creation, the original wholeness of creation. God created this world uh, as a place where we were meant to inhabit a fullness of life where everything exists in right relationship, where you and I have a relationship of mutuality, of love, of care and concern, where we have a right relationship to ourself, where we're not condemning ourselves, where we know who we are fully, where we have a right relationship with God, where we have a right relationship with creation. This is what restoration aims at, this this great saving work of God. To reconcile means to to bring together disparate parts, to bring together what has been separated, to heal what has been broken, to mend it. Reconciliation brings a peace that it's more than the absence of conflict. It's about the presence of life. It's about the presence of a flourishing, a mutual flourishing. And so what's broken is mended, what's been far off is brought near, and meaning is brought out of suffering. Now, here's an interesting thing about reconciliation and about this whole series we've been working through about conflicts. Reconciliation is not necessarily about resolving the conflict. That might surprise you. It's not necessarily about resolving the conflict. That's why we've tried to steer away from language about conflict resolution. Hopefully, in the process of reconciliation, some understanding and some resolution about important issues happens. But Christian reconciliation is about reconciling the people in a conflict. It is about transforming the conflict itself. So at the end, there might still be difference. There might even be creative disagreement. But the people involved in the conflict are reconciled. The conflict has been transformed by the reconciliation of the people. In reconciliation, we realize that in Jesus Christ, we share a deeper reality, a greater reality that unites us and heals that is greater than whatever differences or disagreements that exist. And that compels us to live lives of reconciliation wherever we are. And we see that symbolized in the cross itself. Think of the cross. There is a geometry to the cross 
There are vertical and horizontal axes to the cross. And this is important. God's new world is brought through our reconciliation, this vertical relationship with God that is healed and restored. But as a vital, integral part of that is a horizontal relationship where all our relationships with others are healed and restored and reconciled. And if you follow the trajectory of the cross itself, because we are reconciled to God, we are compelled and pushed out into a ministry of reconciliation to others. N.T. Wright puts it this way. He says, the great symphony of reconciliation that God composed on the cross needs to be copied and transposed into orchestral parts for all the world to play. Every one of us has some part in that beautiful symphony of reconciliation because a new world has come. Something new has happened and so therefore something new must happen in our lives. That gets worked out in a variety of ways. It gets worked out in our personal relationships, in those relationships most immediate to us. There's a church family of people who follow Jesus. That passage from Matthew 5, Jesus is pretty clear, like brutally clear about how we handle our hostilities and disagreements that we encounter. His blunt words are, deal with it. <laughs> and more pointedly, deal with the people in it. Develop a willingness to reconcile. In Matthew 5, Jesus gives two examples of, of how we reconcile. One comes from a religious realm, church. The other comes from the realm of everyday life. Both are teaching the same thing. Get right, pursue reconciliation, and do it now. The second example Jesus gives comes from the courtroom. And he says this, settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court. Do it while you're still on the way together, so, or your adversaries may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown in prison. The key adverb there is quickly. Do it quickly. Jesus is placing a, a premium on a rapid response. But why quickly? I think we can sometimes be dismissive of people who are quick to forgive and seek resolution. We feel like maybe they're denying something, right? But Jesus knows something about the human heart. Do it quickly, Jesus says, or else your heart becomes this cauldron of suspicion, of contempt, out of which comes all sorts of accusation and anger and recriminations. Jesus is saying, don't give any room, any play for hostility or bitterness to start brewing in your life because even if you win your case, you lose. So that's example number two he gives, an example from sort of everyday life. The first example he gives cuts a little closer to home. If you're offering your gift at the altar, if you're in worship, and you remember a brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there. Go first, be reconciled, then come offer your gift in worship. So the context is worship. You're worshiping God. Now why would you remember something in worship about some conflict you're having. Hopefully you're focused in on God. But the reality is we worship a reconciling God, the one who died to reconcile us. And the Spirit, while we're come close to Him, will cause us to remember anything that stands in the way of reconciliation. 
I, sometimes I bet you've been in worship, you've been singing your heart out, praying, you're, you're moved by God, and you might experience, you know, some memory or some thought of attention in a relationship, and you might think, it just feels like a disruption from the enemy interrupting my, our, my worship. Actually, that could be the Spirit of God saying something's off that you need to attend to. The Spirit could be bringing to mind tensions and conflicts that need the reconciling work of Jesus. So look at the priority Jesus places here. First, leave worship. Like, leave, really, go. You think, can anything take precedent over our worship? It does. Jesus places the premium on reconciliation because as long as we're not willing to reconcile, nothing substantive is going to happen in worship. This is why the Old Testament prophets just railed against Israel and said, your feasts, your fasting, your worship, it is meaningless if you are not living justly and in reconciled relationships with others. Jesus tells us that our first call before we even approach God in worship, is to do what is necessary to reconcile with each other. Again, think of the cross. Think of the geometry of the cross. Our relationship with God is so bound, so intertwined with our relationships with others that if I will not reconcile with you, I am injuring not only my relationship with you, but my relationship with God. One commentator, Dale Bruner, writes this. He says, the Lord does not want to talk with a disciple that does not want to talk with a brother or sister. Ouch. You know what this means for us? One practical implication is that when we come to worship on a Sunday morning, we can rest assured that if no one has talked to us already, we're good. Because we know, based on Matthew 5, that if that didn't happen, someone would have talked to us already before they've come to worship. Now, later today, as we come before the Lord's table, um, we recognize that may not always be the case. Maybe we haven't learned that lesson. And so what we want to do is actually give people the opportunity, the time, before coming to the table to pursue reconciliation. Perhaps there's someone in our community that you're at odds with and that you need to pursue reconciliation with. We want to give us time to do that. I wanted to give, give you a heads up um, because we take the words of Jesus serious here. So we want to make room for what Jesus says in our worship to reconcile with one another. And here's why this is so important. Because every conflict we face tests our identity as followers of Jesus. It tests our grasp of the gospel. The reality of our lives is this, that we have been forgiven an infinite debt by Jesus Christ. Every moment of our life is this gift of grace. And if you believe the gospel and you're unwilling to reconcile, either you're, you're blocking the effects of the gospel in your life or you don't believe the gospel. Either way, it cuts right to the heart of things, right? Is the gospel central? to how you and I understand ourselves, how we see others. Every conflict challenges our identity, our sense of self, because if you're the wronged one, if you're hurt, what can easily happen is you can build your identity around that hurt, right? You know, I'm the person who was wronged here, um, and that hurt begins to define the relationship, and you find yourself thinking, yeah, I, I'm, I'm the one wronged here, and you begin to build your identity as the hurt one 
Or if you're on the other side, you can also build your identity around that hurt, that broken relationship, and you can think of yourself, well, I'm the reasonable one in this conflict here, right? Uh, and you can begin to diminish the other person as sort of irrational. You know, they're out to get you for really no reason at all. What is going on? They don't understand. Are they not seeing clearly? They're such a troublemaker. And in both ways, and in just in really subtle ways, you build your identity around the fracture, around the brokenness. But Jesus is saying, we live out of another reality. We live out of the kingdom of God. And in that kingdom, our sin... Our brokenness has been healed and restored through the cross. This is our identity. This is who we are. And if that cross is our identity, if the geometry of the cross, it then leads us to pursue reconciliation. And we've talked about it involves relationships with people who are close to us, personal relationships. But this call of reconciliation also includes places where there is a lack of relationship. One Christian theologian from India that I've been reading, uh, Muttaraj Swami, he writes this. He says, reconciliation involves openness to the other, overcoming prejudice and bias, identifying factors that contribute to hate and violence, working to overcome such devastating forces and crossing those bridges again and again. It is creating an atmosphere of peace with justice, where we are committed to preventing conflicts, divisions, hate, and violence. Remember, reconciliation is peace that we enjoy that is accompanied by justice. The cross is where mercy and justice come together. There's no dismissing of justice. Christ has absorbed the just penalty we deserved, and in our work of reconciliation, we seek that peace accompanied by justice. What so many have noted is that what often stands between forgiveness and reconciliation often relates to the question of justice. Remember, reconciliation is both this vertical and this horizontal at the same time, and so we can never be at peace with God fully if we are not at peace with our neighbors. And being at peace with our neighbors means living justly with them. There is a social dimension because we are evangelical. And you see this in the wonderful story about Jesus, about a guy named Zacchaeus. Do you remember that story? Zacchaeus is not just a rascal. He is a rat, right? He has identified and aligned himself with the Roman Empire. He is a tax collector. And so what that means is he not only is taxed, Uh, collecting onerous Roman taxes, but he is skimming off the top. He's creaming off the top extra for himself, placing an additional burden on all those he's collecting taxes for. And so Zacchaeus is hated. He is hated by everyone. Here is a picture of a man who is alienated, despised by everyone, out of relationship with everyone. But he hunts down Jesus. He climbs a sycamore tree, and Jesus says, Zacchaeus, come down. Let's have dinner together. He experiences the grace, the forgiveness, the acceptance of Jesus Christ. And then he experiences that reconciliation, and then he promptly seeks to reconcile with others. He is active in committing himself to restoring whatever he's taken 
uh, bringing justice into the center of that reconciliation process. For him, it wasn't just forgiveness of sins and acceptance by Christ. That was it, yes, but that was the engine, the motive for him then to work that out. It is a beautiful story of how we are called to live out in the same way. And so he tells Jesus, listen, if I defraud anyone of anything, I'll pay it back four times. This is an addition already to pay half his wealth to the poor. And Jesus sees this, and you got to know there was this breakout smile on Jesus' face as he said, today salvation has come to this house. Because it was a picture of God setting things right, setting a person right, and that person setting other things right, a sign of God's kingdom. And so as reconciling people, we need to deal today, not only with broken personal relationships between people who might have been our friends or in our church, but also systemic brokenness of relationships among wider communities in our world. Like we live in a world where people are just not prepared to relate well to those who are different. How do we overcome that? In so many places in the world, injustice stands in the way of reconciliation between offenders and victims. And sometimes they are long, hard histories. And I don't know how to work that out. It it sometimes feels overwhelmingly complex. But if we're God's reconciling people, we need to think and pray and ask, how might we find peace with justice in all those places? Think of us here in Canada. How can we seek reconciliation with Aboriginal brothers and sisters? The horror of residential schools, that history is a profound and deep offense. It has caused such harm. And so we need to pay attention to that. We need to pay attention to the the calls to action from the Truth and Reconciliation Commission that has happened. But you got to know there's hopeful steps that have been taken. You know, the Presbyterian Church in Canada in 1994 issued a confession about its role in the legacy of residential schools. And the church has committed itself to walking with indigenous people on a journey towards reconciliation. And part of that has been financial restitution. The Presbyterian Church in Canada has fully paid its part of a settlement, financial settlement with Aboriginal peoples. And it has said at the very front end, you know, there was sort of a clause that if other partners in this agreement didn't pay their full amount, that you could sort of claw back. But the Presbyterian Church thankfully said, we're going to pay the full amount because it's not a financial issue, it's a moral issue for us. I mean, those those are hopeful steps, aren't they? Such important acts because we see how reconciliation might inch its way forward. That is seeking peace with justice. And it happens in large and in significant acts like that, but it also and mostly happens in quiet, often unseen behaviors and attitudes. The Apostle Paul talks about this. In Romans 12, he he lays out a whole series of sort of boom, 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 commands or injunctions to the church, but they are really practices of reconciliation. Listen to what he says. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another 
above yourself. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Simple meal with someone, with your enemy, might be one of the most beautiful practices. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. In summary, he says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the call of reconciliation. Wherever we are, to overcome the evil that we have experienced with these practices of goodness. Those sort of acts that Paul have outlined, they, they have Jesus Christ written all over them. It is Good Friday and Easter all over. There is power, there is glory in it. In those simple, small things, it is people clinging to Christ and going down into death with him, dying to hostility dying to pride, dying to retribution and vengeance, and then rising up to resurrection life, rising to reconciliation, rising to flourishing, to serving one another, to community, to life. This has heaven all over it because this is how God's kingdom comes, how his will gets done on earth as it happens in heaven. And this is who we are. This is our identity, friends. We are people of the cross and people of the resurrection, dying to ourselves, coming alive to Jesus, and joining in God's beautiful reconciliation of all things. Amen.